Rick, how you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm good. We got Rick Small, EVP and Director of Financial Crime at now Truist Bank, and um, also an advisory board member of AML Right Source. Uh, we we've obviously talked offline a couple times last week, and what I thought would be interesting to chat with you briefly about. Um, earlier last week, I talked to um, Eric Vingelman from Banner Bank, who's on the West Coast, and you know, decent mid-sized institution. So I, I talked to him about some of the challenges with the COVID-19 crisis that we're having. And given that you, your bank has just been through a major um, acquisition and uh, obviously all the challenges that go along with that, um, I wanted to ask you about resources and a bunch of other things. But first, how, how are you and, and your wife, Judy, doing personally? How are you handling day to day? We are doing great. Appreciate you asking. Um, we're staying, we're sheltered in place. Or I guess the in North Carolina, it's a stay-at-home order. So um, we are staying at home, making use of all those great delivery services that, <laughs> you know, I guess 15 years ago, nobody even knew existed. So, yeah, so we're doing great. So thanks for asking. I assume you guys are as well. Yeah, I, obviously, like, uh, none of us are used to this completely, although, you know, I, I've worked from home for a number of years, and I know you occasionally, very occasionally work remotely. But I have to think for a number of your staff, working remotely all the time must be a brand new challenge, both for them and for you managing how things go on a, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it, it is. And it's actually kind of interesting. And you're right. I mean, I'll work from home once in a while, but it's a day. And it's when there's nothing going on in the office where you have to be face to face. But now I find that uh, I'm actually working more. And I don't know if it's just because there's not a whole lot else to do, um, which I doubt. And it's more about because I want to stay connected with everybody. So, um, you know, I don't know about what others do. I used to have a weekly um, catch up with my senior leadership team. Now we're doing it daily. Um, so every morning we have at least a half hour and just to make sure that everything's going on. And um, so I, you know, we have a pretty big team now that we came through the merger. Um, and so in financial crimes, which is uh, both the AML and then the fraud, um, we have about 1300. So it's, you know, it's not on the order of some of the really large banks, but it's a pretty big staff. And so not only, um, you know, is it me talking to my management, my leadership team, but it's all of them on the trickle down. So, and, and that's what I'm hearing from them as well is that I mean, they're excited to make sure they stay in touch, but it takes a lot of time and energy to do that. So yeah, I think that's the first thing I did. The second part of the question actually is quite interesting. Um, we went through a process, as I, as I know a lot of other banks did, um, in the last probably now three weeks around um, let's start thinking about remote. Let's make sure the VPN has the capacity to handle um, uh, everybody working remote. And so we started with half the team, and it was actually as an experiment for the company, um, taking half the team. And having them work remote for three or four days to see if the VPN could handle it. And then obviously the technology people have stepped in and 
um, expanded everything. So we went from that to um, a lot of the businesses were doing sort of uh, half in the office, half out of the office. Uh, but we went totally remote. Um, I think it's it's a little over two weeks ago now. So other than um, our branch staff, which, you know, I give them a lot of credit because they are willing to go into the branch and man the drive up windows. And right. um, also there are people that still want to come into the bank. But as a lot of other banks, we're doing it by appointment only and, and obviously limiting the numbers that are in the branch at any one time. But um, they're in the office. Uh, you know, all, all our technology people need to be making sure that all the technology is functioning. You can't do a lot of that remote. So, um, you know, I think for some of the company, they're still in the office, but we are um, doing a, a heck of a lot to make sure there's enough distance between everyone. And then as, as we started to talk about, so my team is totally remote. That is a new experience for a lot of folks. And if you think about it, like the investigative teams, part of how they get through the day managing investigations is being able to collaborate, ask their colleagues about specific things. So, sure. yeah. yeah, it's 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 been a challenge, but I'm you know, I'm I'm very happy today. Um, we have a lot of metrics just to watch our numbers on cases coming in, cases going out, and we seem to be managing okay. So, yeah, I mean, overall, big change, but so far, so good. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, measuring whether the case uh, caseload is changing obviously makes it so logical, makes a ton of sense, which reminds me, um, I had a conversation on one of these uh, quick hit podcasts with our, our friend Dennis Lormel, uh about a week and a half ago. And I asked him specifically about COVID-19 fraud issues. And you talked a bit about that. And I know that the FBI and all the federal agencies have been sending out warnings. Um, are you guys doing sort of different training because this has just come up? Obviously, there's frauds, sometimes frauds are frauds, right? So I get that. Yeah. But has there been, with your investigators, particular issues that you guys have already discovered, attempts, at fraud that you could maybe bucket under a COVID-19 sort of fraud? Uh, hard, hard to say, but, mm -hmm. you know, we're certainly looking for it differently. What we've seen, or I, I shouldn't say looking, thinking about it differently and then looking and not, you know, we haven't seen a lot of changes yet on the AML side. And if you think about, you know, how most of that works, we run our rules. Some rules run daily and do output weekly. Some rules run daily, do output monthly. So we really haven't seen the any big change on the AML side. Um, we have been doing a lot of thinking and some pivoting on the fraud side, not because we're seeing a huge increase in fraud, but we are seeing transaction patterns differently. So you know, think about it. we're not seeing a lot of cash anymore, right? So, right. you know, CTRs are starting to, to dwindle. Um, we're not, and, you know, from my personal experience, for example, when we have gone out and done like a curbside delivery of at a restaurant, they don't want cash. So it's it's all on cards now. So we're not seeing a lot of cash, which will down the road impact our automated monitoring rules on the AML side, at least just in terms of volume. But we are seeing a lot of changes in activity. So you're seeing a lot more 
um, at least we are activity on a Samsung Pay or an Apple Pay or something like that, where they've got one of our cards, a debit card or credit card attached to that. So uh, hard to say yet whether we're seeing a lot of fraud. I mean, we're certainly seeing all the stuff that's coming out of the government um, and and happy that they're thinking about it and sending it out. But, um, we, you know, we also kind of think that we may start seeing some fraud on the on the stimulus stuff. So this stuff right. that's yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. 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 So on that, so the stimulus package came out and obviously there's a there's several elements to it. One are uh, SBA loans. Some are direct uh, direct deposit. Obviously, it's not an AML area, but you uh, you also must be involved in the process of dealing with all this. What's the biggest challenge high level in terms of some of the elements from the stimulus package that Truist is involved in? Yeah, so it's a great question. And and actually, so the first thing out of the box on the stimulus package is the um, are, are these loans. And while we think, you know, it wouldn't be a AML issue, one of the things that we are grappling with, with which a number of other banks are also grappling with is whether or not we have to apply some of our um, regulatory requirements, CIP, uh, <laughs> beneficial owner, things like that. So there's been um, there's been some direction or you know, the way that the information came out from FinCEN was a informational document that came out uh, late Friday afternoon. Um, and it talks about not having to um, re, uh, I don't think they called it recertify, re-verify for beneficial owner. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of folks are thinking that if you're only going to make these loans to existing clients, which I think a lot of banks are doing, um, you may not have to do the, the re-verification of the beneficial owner, which, which banks do. Um, the challenge that, that I've been grappling with is that, so I have a, you know, a good sized population, I'm sure, of customers who were pre the beneficial owner rule in 2018, and a triggering event would be a new loan. Um, so we would collect it normally for, for a new loan. Um, so, uh, you know, we're trying to balance that against what appears to be some guidance that says that we don't have to re-verify. Um, uh, you know, without, you know, without giving away a lot of state secrets here, um, I made the decision that we're just going to collect beneficial owner in all instances because the bank has created an application online, which every bank is doing. Um, and it was just easier to put it in there uh, and collect the beneficial owner, even if we already have it, because we don't really have a way to connect our systems in this very short time frame to go and check to see if we'd already collected it before. So long, long story for, um, right. yeah, there are, I, I'm not worried about a lot of money laundering going on with these loans. I, I am worried about fraud because um, again, you know, there's, there's always the possibility of identification, theft, uh, business email compromises and so far, we're not having any face-to-face -face with our customers that are applying for these um, SBA loans. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Side issue, not to the stimulus package, but because of the 
COVID-19 virus crisis, like with any crisis, hurricanes, you know, earthquakes, whatever, there's always these phony charities and GoFundMe pages and all that. So that's not endemic to this issue. But anytime there's a tragedy of any kind, as you know, unfortunately, people try to take advantage. So that's different than what's coming out of legislation. But it's certainly something that you guys always have to have your antennas up for that, that those sorts of acti- activities. Yeah. And I mean, to the extent that we can help our customers not, you know, not fall for those. So it's the, you know, it's the, it's the age old and you're absolutely right. Um, there are some real scums out there that right. take advantage of this. And so, you know, there are, maybe they're offering products for sale that don't exist. Maybe they're offering medicine that doesn't do anything. Um, maybe they, you know, they're getting an offer to make an investment in a company that's taken, a, you know, taken a huge hit. And so the stock is way down, you know, to the extent that we can help our customers not uh, fall prey to those, we certainly do. So, you know, we have a lot of communications out on, um, on our website, on our app. And I, you know, so I obviously am a, a customer of my own bank and, um, right. I've been getting emails almost every day about, you know, be careful and things like that. So we're, we're doing what we can to help, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's all out there and it's happens every time. So uh, what I wanted to, um, I want to get you to give us some advice toward the end of this, but one more thing I wanted to ask about sort of the, the world we're in and that's the regulatory climate from this perspective. <clears throat> All I've seen as someone who's no longer in an institution, I've seen communication from the various agencies. The Fed, the Federal Reserve has said, my word's not theirs, that they're basically going to take a, a, I don't mean a softer approach in oversight, but making some adjustments because of the nature of exams. What I've seen from the OCC and the FDIC has not been the same. It's it's been... uh, you know, we're watching this, but we do remote exam activity, so we don't anticipate any changes. And the things that FinCEN has sent out has really not added much to the mix. So the broader question is, what are you hearing from your peers and colleagues about the examination process and oversight in general, let's say for the next five or six months? Uh, obviously, again, a lot of things can be done remotely, but... Um, that's there's more to it than that because you're trying to deal with the day-to-day challenges of running an institution looking for fraud and now you have to respond to either auditors or examiners or both so it's not a simple process so what what are you hearing from the community in general yeah so um i i mean first thing to to your point about the fed the other thing i think it came from the fed was that they did sort of an automatic extension of anything, mm-hmm. you know, like a supervisory action that was due. Um, they pushed them all out 90 days, um, you know, which I think is great. Just gives everybody time to settle down. I, I, I would tell you that my own experience and what I'm hearing from others is even though um, the other agencies haven't made um, as uh, clear affirmative statements around that, we're seeing the same thing. So, you know, we're seeing that um, um, the examiners want to work with us. Um, if there are things that aren't pressing, maybe hold off a bit on those. Um, so, you know, to me, it's more about uh, collaboration and consultation 
um, just to see where we were, we, where we are. And if there are things that um, are difficult to manage immediately, um, I haven't heard anyone say that, that the agencies aren't respecting that. Um, so I, you know, the, the balance on that though, and, and, you know, I'm sure that the agencies are thinking about this is, you know, FinSound put out something, if I'm not mistaken, and it might actually be in the, in the, what they call the information announcement they put out on Friday that talked about how important it is to still be vigilant on the AML side. Right. And then I think right. FATF put out something as well, if I'm not mistaken, around the same thing. So, you know, it's kind of a, it, it, for, for the banks, I mean, we're going to continue to be vigilant, obviously, but I, I think that it puts the agencies in a, in a, sort of interesting position because on the one hand, um, they are trying to manage in a different way, manage remotely and understand all the work that we're doing to just be able to keep on um, operating the bank. But on the other, you know, they're getting guidance from, from our government and elsewhere that suggests that you still got to be extremely vigilant. So, you know, I think time's going to tell in the, in the short term, everything's fine. I, if we're remote until the end of June, I think that that could be a lot different. So I think we're just going right, to have to watch right. it and see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've heard sort of mixed messages from your peers and colleagues. Some have said what you've said, that the that the communication has been fair and they've said that we'll work with you. Others, it's sort of the proof is in the pudding. So I guess we'll see. What's interesting, without diving into politics, but um, on one of these uh, – if you want to call them press conferences, whatever that the administrations had last week, they started talking about drug trafficking. And I thought, where's that coming from? So to your point about everybody's going to be vigilant, of course, but what are the priorities going to be? So it's interesting. I guess we're not going to know. We're going to have to stay on top of this on a daily yeah. basis, obviously. So, so we'll see. I, I want to get you out on this. Uh, also want to remind folks that uh, AML Right Source, we have a web page dedicated to COVID-19 resources. You just go to our website, uh, the drop-down box resources, and we've we've tried to stay as as daily current as we can. So anytime the FBI or an agency or and I'll definitely put the FATF stuff up there now that Rick's mentioned that we we put it on so that folks can take a look at it and hopefully it helps you with education. But the last thing I wanted to ask you, Rick, is um, as you sit through this. What's your best advice to your your community, the AML officer that's grappling, no matter what size institution he or she is involved in? Uh, what's the best advice to to try to be successful every day during these unbelievably challenging yeah, no, times? It's a great question. I mean, you, you know, I look at it from my perspective, and I'm just continuing to to do my job. But, but I have to say, you know, I've thought about a lot of things differently. And so one of the things that I would suggest is really thinking about the risk. And if it's a, you know, if there's an issue about trying to get money to customers in this time versus, well, it's not the way I used to do it and it runs up against some regulatory requirements, I've been willing to take a little more risk in terms of um, balancing to trying to get the money. And, and here's a great example, which, which we didn't talk about. So, you know, the, the first 
of the CARES Act is around these SBA loans. The next part right. are, is the stimulus that's going to individuals. Um, so the way that, that I've heard it from the government to date is that they're going to take 2019 tax returns for those that have filed. And for anybody, any filer that has linked a bank account to those returns, they will then um, send that money, the stimulus money to the bank to be put in that customer's account. And if the 20, if there's nothing in 2019, they're going to look to 2018. Um, my understanding is if there's none, nothing in 18 or 19, they may look to other government benefits to see if there was a bank account linked. Then what we don't know yet, um, and this is what we're trying to get more information on, is the is the fallback prepaid, or is it, or are they going to be checks? And so prepaid's fine. But if you, if you think about it, so, you know, in the first instance, we're going to get a whole bunch of money for customers that may not have bank accounts with us anymore. They may have had it, but they don't anymore. So we've got to sort of rummage through that and return what we, what we're not going to be able to pass on prepaid's fine. But what if they start doing checks, one of the other issues we've run up against, and this is where I come back to taking a little bit of risk. So, you know, as you know, uh, almost every state has shut down state government operations, including motor vehicle departments. So what if your driver's license expired and you can't get a new one? So some states you can do it online, some states you can't. But now you're driving up to the, the, the teller window at the bank and you want to cash a check and your ID is expired what do you do? I mean, you know, everything, yeah, everything wow. we've taught everyone, uh, you know, for a hundred <laughs> years is your driver's license is the place to start. And a lot of people that are using the driver's license aren't going to have a passport and they're not, even if they do, they're not going to bring it with them to go to the bank. Um, so we've made a call and, and I actually made the call, um, that, we're going to use expired driver's licenses, not going back a whole long time, but we'll go back to the beginning of March. So if your driver's license is expired from March going forward um, and you want to transact, you're an existing client and you want to transact like cash a check or do something else, we'll use the expired driver's license. And obviously we have some other data so we can verify for new, for new customers, new clients, we're saying we can't take that driver's license anymore, but we have a whole bunch of other ways that's built into our AML program to verify, you know, first to validate the person and then verify the identity. So this comes back again, apologize for the long story around this, but this that's comes right. back mm-hmm. to taking some risk because, you know, if you asked me six months ago, would I ever accept an expired driver's license as a valid piece of identification, I would say you're out of your mind because it, you right. know nobody's ever done that in their wildest dreams. So, you know, back back to the advice, it's around just really thinking things through. And we've done, and you know, and I think this is a great idea, um, and and not my idea, but it comes out of our risk organization. We've identified those things that could potentially create more risk for us. We've documented them. We've explained why, and it's all in a very, you know, it's probably five pages of 
risk exceptions that then we're pushing up through um, our risk committee of the management of the bank and then to the board, actually, to the risk committee of the board to say, we're taking this risk. You know, we want you to know what it is and why. And if anybody disagrees, now's the time to speak up. So, and that to me obviously provides transparency that um, we're always told that for, from our, you know, from our banking supervisors, you know, you should always, especially if you're taking risk, you should always get it up to the senior level. So that provides that, but we're also giving that sure. to our examiners. So we are providing them with the things we're doing, why we're doing it, the risk acceptance, as we call it. And, uh, you know, if they have an objection, they'll speak up. But, but that to me is the way to manage through this. It's to not to say no, we can't do it. Um, but there are certain things that we have to be firm on. There are other things that I think that we can um, move a little bit off of being firm on and still manage appropriately. And, and I would uh, summarize that by saying, yes, be nimble. Exactly. <laughs> and you, you guys have clearly done that. that that's great. I think when this is all over, this is, uh, this is more than an article. This might be a, a piece on, you know, how, how to deal with things coming out of left field, as they well, say. Yeah. So, I mean, um, just think real, about, yeah. so, you know, you and I have been around long enough that, you know, we went through nine 11 having been in the industry for a while then, and give the, the nine 11, everything after that was about make sure you have redundancy where you can get to it. Um, and, and if, you can't get to it in your neighborhood, so to speak. Maybe the idea is to build redundancy offshore, which a lot of uh, banks went and did. Right. Well, now, so, uh, you know, in, and not specific to my program, but the bank, as a lot of large banks do, have redundancies offshore, and they're exactly in the same problem we are. So does that mean you have to rethink all of this again? It's crazy. No, that's amazing. Well, Rick. Yeah, Rick, uh, Rick Small, thank you so much um, for spending some time with us. And um, you know, this will continue to help us help our clients in the community in general by just giving them ideas. And I know you're always uh, you're always more than happy if people want to reach out to you. So anybody who's listening to this wants to chat with you about how they put something together. I'm sure you'd, you'd take that call. <laughs> and, and hey, I'm home by my phone all day anyhow, right? So <laughs> nothing <laughs> else to do. All right. Rick, be safe. Family, be safe. We'll talk soon. Bye. Take care.